the Upper Room Frisco podcast. To learn more about UR Frisco, please visit upperroomfrisco.com. And he didn't just say my father or pray like this in the name of Jesus's father. No, he included all of us. Anyone who's praying, he says, our father, which is highly inflammatory to the religious spirit. It's one of the reasons why they wanted to get rid of him. And that's actually pretty normal that when you start to have the message of Jesus, that religious people will want to kill you. <laughs> I, should, I should specify the religious spirit because um, we actually get the opportunity to love on people no matter where they're at in their journey. And it's really the power of laid down love that ransoms people out of that darkened mindset and into something beautiful with God. When they see us laying down our lives for people, just like Jesus did, it completely dismantles any power of darkness in their life. And so, you know, I have, I have one of the weirdest jobs because like as a prophet or as a prophetic person, I wanna challenge us to go into new places with the Lord or experience God or, or have a belief system that, uh, that goes beyond what we have traditionally experienced or traditionally seen. And so as a prophetic person, I wanna challenge us into new spaces. And then as a pastoral person, I wanna give us like biblical handholds so that we can feel real safe as we're going out into, into stepping onto new waters with the Lord. And so I want to attempt to do that today and if I do say something that is inflammatory, please take it to the Holy Spirit before you take it to my email. And <laughs> but you are welcome to email me. That is, that is true. Um, Jesus has, he has bound the strong man and now we get to plunder his house. Who is the strong man? Is the prince of the power of the air, AKA the serpent, AKA the deceivers you know, from the garden. Jesus came and he showed us the Father. He came to destroy the works of the enemy. He came to set us free from our fear of death, thereby setting us free from the power of the enemy. And he showed us how to do it, how to plunder his house. And it looks like living a life like he lived. And the life that Jesus lived is when he saw sickness, he would heal it. When he saw spiritual oppression, he would deliver people. When he encountered lack, he would do things like multiply food. Or if they needed to pay taxes, he would tell his boys to go fishing, right? How cool is that? If anyone has a tax bill, I say, go fishing and see what happens. Like, <laughs> take that, prophetic. Um, <clears throat> and so we get to live this life that Jesus demonstrated. And something that I began to touch on last week uh, but I ran out of time to fully unpack, is that uh, we, can't, we can't believe in a father. We can't believe in a God who sends disease to teach us a lesson and at the same time heals us of disease to free us from the power of the kingdom of darkness, right? That is, that is the definition of a kingdom divided, Okay. I'm telling you these things so that we would actually have confidence that we have a really good father. We sang stuff today like we can run to you with confidence. Do you know why? Because we had a big brother that showed us it's okay to run to the father with confidence. It'd be like if, I mean, I've got a bunch of kids. If, if one of their friends came over to our house who I had never met 
And I, maybe they were playing upstairs. I didn't even know this kid was over for a play date. And I'm sitting downstairs and my kids come tearing downstairs and they run at me with you know, play swords and masks and they jump on me and start tackling and, and wrestling and beating me up. And I'm, you know, we're play fighting. And all of a sudden I realize there's a stranger kid who's involved in this. I'm like, well, where did this kid come from, first of all? But this is awesome. You know? How did that kid know that he could do that? Because he saw my son run at me and he knew that I would be a safe father for him to come to. And so that stranger kid <laughs> has been brought in to like the dance of, of sonship into encountering my father love for the kids. And Jesus did the same thing for us, didn't he? And I wanna, I wanna highlight something because we, we sing often that like Jesus made a way for us, which is absolutely true, but it's actually, there's more dimensions to it than that. Jesus isn't just the way to God. Jesus is God who made his way to us. So he's, he's not just the bridge to the Father. He is the very representation of the Father. So when you step on that bridge, you fall into the arms, the loving embrace of the Father. Isn't that wonderful? This is all over scripture. Jesus came to let us know what dad is actually like, what Abba is truly like, which is why he would say things like, if you've seen me, Philip, Philip, I've been with you for quite a while. How, did, how has it still escaped you? Like, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. And Jesus would say things like, I only do what I see the father doing. And I don't, I don't know if that means that he's just constantly in dialogue with dad or if it's just that he is constantly living out his union with the father, right? He's just walking around loving people, just like Abba. He would say things, the things I say, I got them right from dad. So he looks like the father. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. And he talks like the father and he only does what he sees the father doing, which means that if we can't see Jesus doing something, we should have a hard time seeing the Father do it, right? Otherwise, there would be a division in the Trinity, and the Trinity is perfectly unified, isn't it? This plays out in our lives many times. Get it. Thank you, honey. I'm going to tell you an awkward story. Ready? Put on your awkward seatbelts. I was uh, living in California for a little while with my family. We were uh, on a mission from God, and uh, as they say in Chicago. <laughs> and we were out there during a time when there was wildfires and mudslides and just uh, weather disasters were going on. And, uh, and of course, there's, there's always weather disasters, but it was notable how devastating this season was. You remember this story? Dave and Liz were there. So I just called a prayer meeting. I said, hey, we, we need to just appeal to heaven for, uh, for these things to stop and for people to be saved from disaster. And so I called a prayer meeting and our spiritual community showed up and I gave one ground rule at the beginning. And I said, hey, we're going to pray that God would save, that God would miraculously, like, that there would be an end to these natural disasters and we're not going to attribute the disasters to the hand of the Father. 
And so that's the one rule. We're just going to, we're going to believe that God doesn't want to just destroy men's lives, but he wants to save them. Like Jesus, right? The son of man didn't come to destroy lives, but to save them. And so when the disciples wanted to call down fire on a rebellious town to teach them a lesson, Jesus is like, whoa, no, I'm not like Elijah. You know, you don't know what spirit you are of right now. I came to save lives, not to destroy them. And so I called this prayer meeting and we began to pray for the state of California and that these natural disasters would stop. And, and wouldn't you know, someone got up and grabbed the microphone and said, Lord, thank you for sending these dis disasters to teach this stubborn state a lesson. And now it's my job to do something about it, right? So I'm, I like walk up front and you know me, I'm like tender-hearted, gentle Jeremy. I'm like, <clears throat> excuse me, excuse me. And, and I said, hey, I love that you're here to pray, but we don't want to attribute these disasters to the hand of God because whenever Jesus saw a storm, he calmed it so that it wouldn't cause disaster, right? And he was upset and basically stormed out of the room. And then I was like, okay, let's, let's get back to prayer. We hand the mic to someone else. They grab the mic and they stand up and they begin praying. Lord, we know that these disasters were meant from you to turn us back to you. And, and I was like, for real though? <laughs> Dave and Liz, you know, you remember how awkward it was? It was so I was like, <clears throat> and I just reiterated something to the same effect. And that person got upset and stormed out of the room. And then I... I needed to address the, uh, the awkwardness, you know, the elephant in the room or the elephant that left the room, however you want to look at it. And <laughs> Lord bless those two, wherever they are, and fill them with your kindness, gentleness. I, and I just said, hey, I, I know that that was awkward for everyone. It was uncomfortable for me. I just can't sit by and let the reputation of my father be tarnished anymore. I can't do it. And we have a call to this world to restore the reputation of dad. Jesus had a call to this world to restore the reputation of dad. And I'm starting here on purpose because I don't believe that we can have an understanding of the advancement of the kingdom unless we have an understanding that the kingdom of heaven is all about family. That Jesus is, that G the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are fully unified and invested at redeeming every single one that they possibly can. He, the whole, they're looking at us, Holy Spirit, Son, Father. God is looking at us like children, his children. And we have these reformational moments in life where we realize that we are living better than our theology. And let me unpack that for you, because one of the reformational moments of my life is when I got married. It changed, changed my world. I got, to, I got to be with the one that my heart loves, my, my princess, my treasure. I, I got to be with her constantly, and my heart continued to grow in love for her. And I realized, like, I would, I would do anything for this 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 beautiful woman. And, and I realized that 
my love for Ashley surpassed what I thought God's love was for me. And then I had, it was a crossroads moment, right? There's no way that I'm a better husband than Jesus is to his bride, right? And then another reformational moment. We have a, a child. What? Are you kidding me? I'm, I'm holding baby Judah, and I realized that this little human that has only caused her morning sickness and pain and is screaming is only going to poop for the next three years. Is it my, I, just, I would do anything for him. <laughs> Anything and 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 we would ha- we had uh, we had three babies in under three years. So we had a two-year-old, a one-year-old, and a newborn. I don't recommend it. It was amazing if, <laughs> in certain ways. Uh, <laughs> I stand before you a defeated man. But I would tuck my kids in at night and I would, I would sing to them and I would tell them what I think of them. So like a, a tradition of mine with my kids is I would try to, I try to every night look each one of them in the eye or say to each one of them what I think about them so that they are hearing from their father before they hear anything from the world or anything from any significant other for the rest of their life. They're hearing their identity from dad. And I would tuck them in and I, I just wanted to hug them straight into my own heart and keep them there forever. You, know, you guys know what I'm talking about. And I realized that my love for my children now surpassed what I thought God's love for me was. And it was, it was a reformational moment because surely he is a more loving dad than I will ever be perfect in his love for us. So I, I want to start here because there can't be any proper understanding of the kingdom unless we understand our position before the Father as his children, who he wants to bless, who he leads to repentance through kindness, and who he makes us great through his gentleness, doesn't he? You know, those are the last words of David. Before, like the last recorded song of David, he says in there, you have made me great. And he attributes, it, attributes his greatness to one thing. And he says, it's your gentleness that has made me great. So Jesus comes and he shows us what the father is like. And he shows us what the father does. And we get to spend the rest of our lives getting delivered of our caricatures that we've drawn of God in our heads, Right? We have these certain things that we've inflated. We have these monstrosities sometimes, views of God. But if we, if we look at Jesus, then those caricatures like surely get torn down. And so as a dad, um, let me put it like this. If you found out that I broke one of my children's legs because I felt their hearts wandering from me and I wanted them to sit down for a while, I should be in jail. I shouldn't be pastoring, (laughs) right? Like that's a monstrous thing to do. It's a monstrous thought. It's it's hard for me to even say something so grotesque. 
why would we attribute something like that to our good, good father? He doesn't, when we're asking for things from, he doesn't send scorpions or, or snakes or anything that poisons, right? Now, I wanna get something straight. God definitely disciplines. He really does. He's like the perfect father. But the way he disciplines, it's always restorative and leading us back into his heart. There's a difference between discipline and punishment. And the difference is one is restorative and one is retributive. God does not punish. And if you wanna hear more about it, I have a podcast out that uh, from several months ago. It's called The Punishment Paradigm, if you wanna hear more about that. Um, but... We have this keystone scripture that Jesus gives us and it's in John 10, 10. Y'all probably know what it is, right? It's an easy one to remember because it's 10, 10, John 10, 10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And so Jesus gives us almost like a decoder ring for the events of life. If it is theft, destruction, death, then it is from the domain of darkness. If it is life and life abundantly or the opposite of steal is to restore sevenfold or the opposite of kill is for resurrection and the opposite of destruction is for rebuilding or building up, then we know it's from Jesus, right? John the Beloved put it, it really simply also, he said that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And so Jesus, going back to the way that he lived, we, we can see how he would dismantle systematically. He is relentlessly dismantling the domain of darkness, and it looked like it was almost on accident. He's just walking around free, joyful, healing is busting out from him, and the enemies, you know, the enemies just shaking in his boots like... He, he's like the incarnation of God, like God's love has hit planet earth and the domain of darkness is being stripped away from the enemy. Everything that the enemy has tried to do for thousands of years, he is coming through like almost effortlessly undoing it. And then on top of it, he anoints 12 like foul mouthed fishermen and tax collectors to go and do the same. And suddenly it's not just the incarnation, Jesus going around dismantling the domain of darkness. It's these guys that have no training or business whatsoever being holy priests, walking around and undoing the domain of darkness. He gives that same kind of power access, authority to be ambassadors that he himself said. In fact, he goes, he takes it even a step further. And I, this might be offensive to me. This is uh, John 14, 12. <clears throat> Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. We sang this today, whatever you ask in my name and you... Uh, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I'll do it. So the disciples asked for miracles. Did you know that it's okay? It's not just okay. It's a really good idea to ask for miracles. It's not like selfish or pompous or, or arrogant. This is, this is Acts 2.29. It's one of my favorite scriptures. It's when... The, the apostles are facing the first wave of persecution and they're being threatened and jailed. And this is what they, they call a prayer meeting. And this is what they pray. 
Now, Lord, consider their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to perform miraculous signs and wonders. So not just like miracles, but signs and wonders. Miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then it says the place, the physical place where they gathered was physically shaken with an earthquake, almost like a stamp of like God's approval as they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they pile out of the room and they go and do, do miracles. Many are added to their numbers. It's just such an incredible section uh, of scripture that shows what the first century church looked like. In Acts 14, there was a man who was crippled and Paul, this is a cool miracle because Paul wasn't one of the OGs. He's like next gen. He's second generation apostle. He, like, he wasn't part of the original 12. He's saved as one who was born out of like, a normal time. And, and he's discipled by Jesus in the wilderness, which is really, really cool. Uh, but Paul is operating in miracles. Paul looked directly at this crippled man in Acts 14, 8, saw that he had faith to be healed. That's cool. Stand up and sa- he called out, stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. And then in Acts 8, we know that the disciples had power over unclean spirits. This is, the reason I bring up these Acts scriptures is because this is post-death, resurrection, and ascension. This is us. This gives us confidence that we get to walk, that we are able to walk in these things too. This is Acts 8. For unclean spirits came out of many who had them. They came out crying with a loud voice, many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. I've said this in, uh, several times in the weeks leading up to today is that we don't have the right to ask the world to believe in a kingdom that we don't display. Jesus said this. And if it's true for Jesus, it's got to be true for us. This is John 10 37. Don't believe me unless I do the works of the Father. Whoa! He's literally giving people permission to not believe that he is the Messiah if he doesn't do the works of the kingdom. How bold, I mean, I would have to have a crazy spirit of boldness to stand up here on a Sunday morning, but you guys have heard stories of of missionaries who they'll gather a a town together or a tribe together and say, if I don't heal your, your blind and deaf people, then you don't have to believe in my God. Isn't that, it just feels a little weird in here when I say that, right? Like hope is rising, faith is rising, but it's also highly offensive, right? Listen, the gospel of the kingdom isn't for the mamby-pamby. It is going to be offensive at times. And I believe that God is, is inviting us to be more bold, to step out and, and be the answer to the impossibilities of this world. Twenty years ago, I um, I almost died in the hospital. I was uh, 21 or 22, and um, my appendix ruptured. But I'd never really been sick. I was just a young college student, and so I thought that I was constipated. And um, TMI, here we go. Uh, so I walked around for three days with a ruptured appendix, which is not recommended. And uh, on the third day, I. I woke up and I had to go to class and instead of taking a step towards my clothing, I passed out and like slammed into the wall and like immediately woke back up 
And that's when I thought, it's time to go to the hospital, Jeremy. And so I did, and, uh, but not before I went to my ministry school and asked my director to lay hands on me. <laughs> and <laughs> Jeremy didn't have insurance. Um, so... <clears throat> so I um, he prayed for me and then they're like go to the hospital and so spirit of wisdom came over them also and they thought it was appendicitis they were going to remove my appendix but when they got in there they realized like this the toxins had eaten through part of my intestine. It was way worse than they thought. They had to disembowel me, clean off my insides, put me back in, and stitch me up down the middle. And then what? I, they, they thought I was on the mend, so they took me out of the ICU into, recovery, into a recovery unit. But that's when uh, an infection that they didn't know uh, had entered my bloodstream began to manifest. And I watched my temperature on the temperature dial on the wall go all the way up to 106.3 degrees. And I was shaking uncontrollably. Two spirits came in the room and started talking about my demise. And, and they were talking about how I've lived a good life. It's okay for me to let go because I know where I'm going. And there were these two spirits who were trying to, to get me to agree with death. And as fear entered, I was shaking, not just from the, um, the infection, but the terror of it all. Because I began to see this black hole begin to open in front of me. And I knew that Eventually, I was going to be taken through it. Crazy, right? That's when an angel said, whispered to me, pray in tongues now, don't delay. And I began to pray in tongues. And then a couple angels came sweeping through the room, knocked the demons out of there. And that's right when a nurse walked by the room and, and happened. She could have just kept on walking straight, but she just glanced and like did a double take and saw that my Fever was at 106.3. I had knocked the call box off my bed and she shouts down the hall, we need help now. That's when all these nurses came in, put me in an ice bed. And I, so over the course of a week, I nearly died three times. And, and so like that veil between here and there was very thin at times. And they couldn't get my, uh, my infection under control so several days of fevers just spiking into like horrible, horrible zone. And then um, the pastor, the campus pastor of my ministry school came into the hospital with two of his interns. And I imagine them walking down the hall like men of whom the world is not worthy. Like <clears throat> these men who have turned the world upside down have come here, like Acts 17, 3. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here and they're walking down the hall of the hospital towards my room and they come in with big smiles on their faces. I'm like on death's door. I mean, I've got nothing left in me. And the pastor looked at me and said, are you ready to start feeling better today? And I said, Robin, I really am, man. His name's Robin. And so Pastor Robin and his two like head interns lay hands on me the fevers broke, I sat up, and I began eating food within the next hour. And the doctors didn't know what worked. They didn't know which one of their drugs like healed me. <laughs> I told them, no, it was none of that. The fevers broke the moment my pastor laid hands on me. Yeah. We are 
superheroes. We are agents of change. We are ambassadors of Christ. We are the ones who represent him. And if you pull that word apart, it, we represent the Lord. That's who we are. We're not just off in a distance praying that God would do something awesome. No, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. And so when we enter a room, answers to the impossible situations enter the room. Both Matthew 13 and Luke 13, Jesus talks about how the kingdom of heaven is like a is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three sata of flour, and it caused the whole lump to rise. S-A-T-A. It's some ancient unit of measurement. Um, so the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that is hidden in a lump of dough, causing the whole thing to rise. Beloved, you are leaven hidden in the world, causing society to rise. You're hidden. Many of us, uh, we're getting into positions of prominence and authority or leadership in different businesses or owning businesses. You're hidden. You're hidden there to be the thing, that, the catalyst to bring the kingdom and cause society to rise. <laughs> I have a friend that ministers in India, and he told Ashley and I this awesome story about how he went out late at night because he needed to get something from a convenience store, and he's riding his scooter. And um, he said there were these three drunk men in the street late at night, and he was hoping that they didn't approach him, but they did approach him. And then he recognized one of the guys from his church. And, <laughs> and they walk up to him and, <clears throat> and says, they say, his name is Joshua, you know, Pastor Joshua, Pastor Joshua, um, you need to pray for uh, this, this man's sister. And then this, one of the angry of the three guys said, um, my sister was sick and I called on... Uh, the Hindu leader to pray for him, nothing happened. I called on, uh, he called on three different religions, essentially, leaders to, to pray for his, his sister. And, and he said, I, I, the, the third one was a, a, a Muslim Sikh, you know, just a, a priest in this religion. And, and he prayed for her and she got better. <clears throat> and Joshua said, brother, she didn't get better. He placed on her a stronger demon than the first one she had. And he got really offended. He's like, what? Like, who, are, who do you think you are? And, and Joshua said it was a hot night. And in this region of town, many people just sleep outside. It's like a big camp zone. And the guy points over and says, my sister's right there sleeping. And she's sleeping soundly because of what the, the Muslim man did for her. And he said, okay, we're going to test this out, essentially. You walk over to your sister while she's sleeping. And you don't have to wake her. Just get very close to her and count to 10 and see if anything happens. And so the, there's, a, there's a Muslim, a Hindu, and a new believer, okay? The Muslim guy walks over to his sister and nothing happens. The Hindu guy walks over to his sister, nothing happens. This other guy walks, nothing happens. And then Joshua says, let me walk over to her. And so he walked over to her and as soon as he got within a few feet of her, she screamed at the top of her lungs so loud that it woke up the whole town that was sleeping in the area. And she sat up with this wild look in her eyes and lunged at Joshua to attack him. And Joshua screams and takes off running. And, <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> and just so you can imagine, 
This scene, he's, he said it's the funniest thing in the world to look back at because he's running away from this little girl who's chasing him screaming. The whole countryside has woken up because this girl screamed and they think something's going on. So they're running behind him too. And so Joshua is running away from like this town. <laughs> and he hears the Holy Spirit laughing. <laughs> saying, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? So he stops and he turns around. <clears throat> And in front of everyone says, you come out of her now in the name of Jesus. And immediately the girl calmed down, is completely in her right mind. The spirit has left her. <clears throat> and then uh, Joshua actually turns to the crowd and says, that demon that just left her is looking for a new home. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and they, they all like get on their knees and give their lives to God. And then Joshua is finally driving away back home with whatever he bought at the convenience store. And he hears the Holy Spirit say, you didn't teach them the kingdom of my love. You scared them into my kingdom. Go back and preach the real gospel. And so he turns around and goes back and they're still all gathered there, like bewildered, like what in the world did they just witness and what has happened? And he sits them down and he tells them who Jesus really is. Cool story, right? So, <laughs> although most people in here, we already firmly believe this, I just want to give us a, a few biblical handholds, a biblical foundation for why we can believe that miracles are for today. Can you put up that slide? I know we're near the end of our time. That's kind of on purpose, but you can take pictures of this and go over these verses. But the, the question is like, how long will the gifts of the Holy Spirit be in operation and one of them, a really good one is 1 Corinthians 1.7 because Paul says to the Corinthian church, this big church, you don't lack any gift as you wait for the return of the Lord. So in other words, he links us waiting for the return of the Lord with us possessing the gifts of the Holy Spirit, okay? And the next one is, uh, so it's until Jesus returns to, uh, we need the gifts until the church is mature and unified. This is one of my life verses. It's Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. He gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints and the building up of the body to do the work of the ministry. And then it says, until. That's the question, right? Until. Because how long do we need prophets and apostles and, and everything that they bring to the party? How long do we need it? It's until you reach the full measure of the stature of Christ and you have, the, you have attained the unity of the faith. And so the question then is, is the church unified? Is the church in Dallas unified? Is, is the church in this room fully unified? I, we're getting there, right? Um, we need the gifts of the Holy Spirit for that. And then the next question is, is the church at the full measure of the stature that is of Christ? Because that's how long we need the gifts, until the church is as powerful as walking Jesus. And so the church isn't there yet. We're getting better, praise God. But we're not there yet, so we need the gifts. Uh, until the end of the age, there's a clear link of the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit being present until the, the day of the Lord that's like that you will prophesy, you will dream dreams until uh, the gospel goes to every nation. The gospel of the kingdom is specified, like the gospel of the kingdom goes to every nation. And until the kingdom is fully 
established, and there's several verses that you can go to to look for that. Um, there's, a, there's an objection that arises from uh, this discussion, and it's people will say, well, the, the gifts were only to verify that the original apostles were uh, worthy teachers and to endorse them as teachers of, of the new covenant. Unfortunately, there's just not a scripture that says that. Um, God never gave, so it, it never says in scripture that God gave miracles to endorse the people. He gave miracles to endorse the message of the kingdom. This is, um, put up that next slide. So the purpose of the gift, these are seven. There's, there's more than this, but we all like lists. Um, to confirm the gospel itself. <clears throat> Acts 14.3, uh, I'll just read this to you. This is, it says, so Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time in Iconium speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed their message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. So there it is, the preaching of the kingdom accompanied with signs of the kingdom. Number two, uh, the, perp the, the gifts glorify Jesus. Obviously, the uh, supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit show God's compassion the gifts often manifest in response to faith. We read a verse about that earlier. The gifts strengthen the church. The spiritual gifts uh, are, are very important for uh, evangelism. One of my favorite scriptures from Corinthians is that, you know, if you're all speaking in tongues and an unbeliever comes in, they're gonna think you're crazy. But if an unbeliever comes in and you're all prophesying, then the secrets of their heart will be unveiled. They will feel the conviction and they will fall on their face declaring God is truly among you. This is gonna be fun around here, right? When we, as we're growing in the prophetic and words of knowledge and words of wisdom, we're going to see people literally say, ah, I cannot deny that God is real because of what just happened. One time I, I took ministry school students out to minister on a college campus. And the night before, I said, everyone pray for dreams that God would show you uh, things that you're gonna do tomorrow. And so this one girl gets a dream, and in the dream, she's talking to a, a guy that she's just met, finds out his name, finds out um, he's getting a degree in communications, and, uh, and there's, there's something about the anointing of the Lord on this man's life. And so the next day, we go out ministering on the streets, and we're walking up and down the college campus uh, streets, and, and this girl sees the dude from her dream and walks up to him and says, the Lord told me that your name is Brian. I think it was Brian, something like that. And you're about to get your degree in communications and the Lord wants to use you to be a voice to this generation. The guy is gobsmacked. He these are his literal words. I've never believed in God. I've never gone to church but I cannot deny that what just happened to me is real. What do I have to do now? <laughs> he surrendered his life to Jesus and he came to our worship meeting that night. <laughs> See, uh, a man with an argument can't stand up against a man with an experience. 
Um, another good purpose of the gifts of the Spirit is to protect the church from falling into false doctrine, literally linking the gifts of the Spirit to making sure that we are no longer infants tossed back and forth by the waves and the trickery of unsound doctrine, essentially. Um, so if you can hang with me for just a minute more, the reason I started talking about the love of the Father and then giving you uh, scriptural handlebars is because now we can go out as more empowered, can, not, just, not just hoping that cool things would happen, but having a solid ground to believe that cool things will happen while we stretch out our hand. You know, our, our hand, th- this thing that we just do all this normal stuff with throughout the day, when we, when we place it on hurting people, the power of the kingdom flows through, and it's one of the most exhilarating experiences to, to have uh, happen in your life. And so I want us to go out from here as secret agents of change, you know, the leaven hidden in the lump of this society, fully convinced that God can and will do miracles through us. Amen? Amen. Can we stand and pray together? Father, thank you for revealing your good nature to us through your son whom you love. Thank you, Jesus, that you said it's better that you go and that you're not gonna leave us as orphans, but you placed the spirit of Christ in us. So I pray for, uh, Lord, that you would do those wild things, that there would be fresh fillings, fresh baptisms, that you would release the gift of tongues, dreams, dream interpretation. We pray for words of knowledge, words of wisdom, and increase in the prophetic anointing in general in this place. God, we want to see those face plants, salvations of uh, 1 Corinthians 14. Lord, we uh, we want cancer to be scared of us. We want disease to roll back at the sound of the name of Jesus on our voices. Father, we pray that there would be even more testimonies of miracles in this room, in our small groups, in every, in every family represented, and wherever we go, God, I pray that we would feel a new level of confidence to be your ambassadors in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.